1: morning and welcome everyone to live Dharma Sunday for April 14th, 2019. Koyo Kobose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, spring has sprung, uh, of course. Um, astronomical spring is the equinox is in March 21st and uh, we're almost a month after that, but in a lot of places, uh, warm weather doesn't come until later. I mean, I, I know a lot of gardeners in uh, cold winter places; they don't plant their garden until beginning of May at the earliest. Um, so, when it's really a nice day uh, in the springtime, we say, "Ah, spring has sprung." And I was thinking about. Um, Things associated with spring, and uh, I thought about spring cleaning. Now, (laughs) I don't know um, how that got started, okay, exactly as a spring ritual, okay, but it's a very common thing. So, well, springtime, you got to clean house, okay? Uh, (laughs) Well, sometimes in some cultures, I think they do cleaning at the end of the year so that they'll start the new year off nice and clean and fresh. Okay. So it's not an automatic thing all, you know, uh, all over, but it's very common idea about spring cleaning. Okay. Maybe because then you can get outside. Okay. Uh, and clean your garage or your, you know, clean up your yard, okay? So that would go with the warmer weather. Maybe that's how it got started, okay? Straightening things, straightening your yard out and so forth, okay, as the weather warms up. And of course, we have this idea co-opted by religions. There's the common phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness, okay? I don't know how that Buddhist might um, express the same idea. Uh, and there was um, a temple member, this is some years ago, but uh, he invited me to lunch and he wanted to uh, pass an idea by me. And uh, he said, you know, we ought to uh, organize a group or maybe... Um, suggest there's a program for existing groups for free cleanups of garages and attics. Okay? And that you could be this a Buddhist group would become known for this. Hey, you know, everybody has a garage that's all <laughs> accumulated stuff and in your attic too. Okay? So this would be providing a really good service. You know, so public service. Say, hey, gotta, you know, just like your regular garage and attic accumulates all kind of stuff, okay, so in your dharma travels, you might accumulate a lot of things that, uh, you know, not really necessary, or they morphed into something else, or, and so forth, okay? So you got a dharma garage and a dharma attic to clean out, or in other words, spiritual spring cleaning. <laughs> so I thought about that, <laughs> about this topic of spring cleaning. And uh, I think that uh, when we think about oh, straightening things up, cleanliness, uh, sorting out, you know, of course, goodwill and Salvation Army is <laughs> one part of this whole process, okay? Uh, you know, you could donate unwanted items or so-called white elephants. (laughs) All these, all these uh, slang phrases. Okay. And I know that, uh, our temple used to have a white elephant sale every spring and people would drop off and you could find some really good things there. Whole set of golf clubs or, you know, different tools. If, uh, I guess it's sort of similar to an estate or yard sale, garage sale. And it's where sometimes an estate sale is where um, the husband passed away and the wife is going to downsize and move out of their house that they lived in for, you know, decades. And uh, she has no use for sporting, certain sporting equipment, maybe fishing equipment and and tools Okay, that was all her husband's uh territory okay so some so she's gonna cl- clean house and have a yard sale estate sale, and a lot of people they they, they could really find some good bargains of sporting goods and tools okay um, but I also wanted to mention that um what is it? Well, we could think about it. What is it that makes us feel so good about sp- spring cleaning, you know, afterwards, you know, clean your house up, clean your yard up, get things in order. Okay. Does it give us an idea that our disordered life is becoming a little bit more orderly in that process? And, uh, maybe it's, uh, having a, uh, sort of, uh, false sense of you're in control of things <laughs> now things accumulated because well, then it got kind of out of control there are, there's such a thing as hoarding Okay, we just think about this topic some people they you can't hardly walk through their house okay? they don't ever have company over there everything's accumulated a lot of it's paper okay? but it's all stacked up piled up magazines and different things in the person's living room when you go in the front door and it's sort of like <laughs> you just have a narrow pathway. Okay? I know that there are people like this, okay? Uh hoarding is a uh, kind of a, you know, <laughs> a problem. Um, but on the other hand, supposing, you know, just if you start think about this whole topic, you think about different aspects. Okay? Uh we don't necessarily have to get go overboard the other way too become obsessively neat and clean huh? okay now, I think it's a dream of a lot of people uh that they want to have their their home kind of like uh well, I don't know how to say it the uh, Japanese use of home space. Now, I don't know if it's still true, but, you know, when you think about tea ceremony or tatami rooms, traditional Japanese rooms, very sparse, very clean looking, empty sort of, not a lot of furniture and a lot of personal effects around. And when you go into, say, a traditional tea room, you know, not too big. So they count it by the number of tatami floor straw mats that are always a standard size, and maybe it's a four-mat or a six-mat room, okay? And shoji screens and doors, very streamlined, okay? And I even know, I remember my son, when he was about 10 years old, you know, he'd go to his grandma's, in my mom's uh, tea room, and he, and, he, and he wrote an essay about this, My Grandma's Tea Room. And it was all about how it made him feel when he went into this room, the tranquility, the calmness. Okay? It's not all cluttered, and that means your mind's not all cluttered, okay? distracted. Um, and he kind of described it, and it was such a nice essay, especially for a 10-year-old. And they had, they framed it and put it, up, put it up on the hallway at my my folks' place. But that kind of an idea uh, is a dream. We say, oh, gee, I wish, you know, we have so much stuff. Okay? And uh, it is a good goal, I guess, to have, even though you might not ever get to that point. Okay? It's to sometimes have a cleaning up, cleaning out, but a lot of times I think it gets too much and your lifestyle sort of changes, okay, from the sparseness of things, especially if you have a, you know, family, okay, maybe it's a little bit easier when you have a, if you're just single, okay? I know that in um, Japan, uh, you know, all the so-called gaijin, that means foreigners, um, get to know one another. And a lot of them are young people that maybe came to the to Japan for whatever purposes, and they're living in a one-room apartment house, one-room apartment. Huh? That's where you have a little uh, stove burner. Okay? Uh, there's hardly anything in the room, but there is a closet, and that's where you take out your bedding and you spread it out on the floor. So you live in this one room okay you you're just a single person, and okay you don't have that much stuff okay you it's it's possible okay oh very compact okay um, but i it's so common, especially maybe oh i don't i won't say just guys, but say you're when you were young and a college student, okay, you had to be Transient, mobile, because during uh, when uh, classes are off for summer break or whatever, you you might leave and go home or you know whatever you're you're kind of moving around, nomad, as a student, and uh, we often said when I was in college I could move everything in the trunk of the car. That's how much, uh, you know, non-stuff we had. And we didn't really appreciate it until, well, we got married, had a family, lived in the same house for decades. Oh, boy, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, But we shouldn't get OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, on the other hand, you know, okay? We don't have to get attached in a negative self-victimization way about spring cleaning either. And we have to appreciate the fact that uh, it seems like dirtiness, messiness is a part of reality. And it's unrealistic, irrational to think that you could make your whole house like, a classic traditional tea room. <laughs> Maybe that's rationalizing. I don't know. Okay. But we do have to appreciate you know, the mud that the lotus grows in. Okay. Lotus comes, it's, nut- it's, it's nutrients, it's energy from the mud and grows up and through the water. Okay, The mud is in the bottom of a muddy pond and that's where lotuses grow. And then they break the surface of the water and blossom. Oh, really white, clean, beautiful flower, but it has its roots in the mud. So maybe there's a certain value or function of accumulating a lot of things in your life. It means you lived. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's some food for thought anyway. Well, today I'd like to introduce, to give us our Dharma Glimpse, Noah Mayo. He was part of our LM9 group and he lives in Utah. So, Noah Mayo Sensei.
0: Hello, this is Noah Mayo Sensei. I'm excited to share a Dharma Glimpse with you today. I've been reading a lot about the concept of groundlessness And I really enjoy the mental picture of groundlessness because as a hobby, I practice paragliding and paramotoring, which is paragliding with a motor on your back. And I found that in my personal life, my hobby and my career has uh, meshed to the point where I practice paragliding for work. And it's kind of funny to see, to know that this uh, aspect of groundlessness, so to speak, in my life has become my uh, comfort zone it's my the It's the space where I tend to hang out the most and as I read about the concept of groundlessness, I can't help but to think of it in those same terms of um, learning to become comfortable where there is no ground beneath you now in The typical way of thinking of groundlessness, we're not talking about physical groundlessness like I do with paragliding. We're talking about the groundlessness of having something firm to stand on or to hang on to in terms of what feels like certainty in life. And I think as we go through life, we're always looking for that thing, whatever the thing is that we can stand on, that we can rely on. Sometimes it's our beliefs. Sometimes it's the hope of uh, the future panning out to be a certain way. It can be a lot of different things. But when we have something and we hang on to it, that thing becomes our ground. And where we find ourselves comfortable is on a firm foundation, a firm ground, whether that's a belief or an idea or an opinion or whatever it is. And it's interesting how I've been noticing as I try to mirror in my uh, spiritual or emotional life, the same comfort of groundlessness that I feel physically in my day-to-day life with paragliding, there's a strong resistance to it. Um, now, most people would probably say it's it's really scary, uh, the thought of dangling by strings in the air with a, a wing over your head, a, 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 essentially a parachute, a fabric wing. That sounds terrifying to a lot of people. But I think it's equally terrifying to think of the concept of of living life with this mindset of groundlessness and not having a firm belief to hang on to, or the notion of things are going to be okay, or anything else that gives us that sense of security and certainty in our lives. And I've really enjoyed playing with this concept in my own mind, trying to discover what is it that I rely on for my sense of of uh, a grounding, a sense of feeling firm, having a firm foundation, and then questioning that. What happens if I let go of that thing? What if the thing that I believe in isn't true? What if the thing that I'm uh, hopefully uh, anticipating to happen in life doesn't happen? What if the certainties that I'm relying on aren't certain? And as I chip away at the ground that I'm standing on, the emotional, spiritual ground that I'm standing on, I'm finding myself to be little by little more and more comfortable with groundlessness, with dangling in the air, or I guess probably more of a free fall where you become comfortable with the experience that's unfolding, which is I'm here and I'm alive. And I'm having all these experiences and emotions and sensations. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant. And I'm becoming comfortable with the groundlessness of it all. There's nothing that will guarantee that this pleasantness will stay. There's nothing that will guarantee that the unpleasantness will never come back. And I find myself in this state of groundlessness. And I'm trying to mirror, like I said, my spiritual life with my physical life where I spend a lot of time off the ground with no ground beneath me or uh, far, far beneath me. And it's been a really fascinating experience. And I think it would be uh, wise for us as practitioners um, to find a greater sense of comfort with the discomfort of uh, having no ground, of living in that space of groundlessness, of knowing that our ideas, our beliefs, All of our certainties are illusory. They're just illusions that give us the sense of comfort when in reality there's nothing there to hang on to. And that nothingness, that emptiness, that groundlessness is the space where we can find the peace and the comfort that we often uh, look for in the solidity of ground beneath our feet. And that's the glimpse I wanted to share with you today.
1: Thank you very much. Boy, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, associations. When we hear a teaching, Dharma glimpse, and uh, we kind of open ourselves up and receive it, and uh, uh, all kind of associations. Uh, uh, Even his last comments about emptiness, we might not have thought about groundlessness as being related to sunyata, you know, which is the, which is called the absolute emptiness or absolute nothingness. Um, This is a uniquely Eastern kind of philosophy, okay, when it's applied to philosophy of life, okay, um, uh, where in emptiness, everything's possible because you're not stuck or overly attached to dogma, okay? How often, perhaps, if we don't think about it, okay, are we uh, victimizing ourselves in certain ways by over attachment? Um, we want a sense of control, we want a sense of safety, a centeredness, or whatever, that, and we might become kind of dogmatic okay, in what works for us. And maybe you think, hey, there's a lot of upside and a lot of downside, a lot of trade-offs, okay? That's part of, that gets woven into groundlessness. Um, I remember my father talked about, uh, he, uh, he just mentioned that sometimes when we use the that word, that, that uh, suffix, N-E-S-S, ness, you know, selflessness, groundlessness, isn't that an interesting <laughs> suffix, okay, I haven't given it that much thought to to give it some flesh on that bones, but uh, that came to my mind, and also what came to my mind was, um, uh, well, the whole topic of uh, attachment, non-attachment, okay, of uh, grounding oneself. Uh, How how do you live? I remember one teacher talked about uh, that his experience of life was like falling. (laughs) Falling, okay? He doesn't have anything to hang on to. He has no ground to stand on firmly, the security of it. Uh, And then I remember another Dharma colleague I said, well, what are you, what are you, uh, what are you working on? Because he was a writer, author, and teacher, and so forth. And he said, oh, I'm gonna, I'm kind of, my next work is, I'm kind of, I want to talk about the spiritual virtues of uh, Buddhist virtues of uncertainty and ambiguity. And you know, then, then, you know, then we, were, we it was just a passing thing comment. But that fifteen seconds. Where he expressed that, I never forgot it, and I think there's a lot of implication. I mean he could write maybe a whole book on that topic, okay Buddha's virtues of uncertainty and ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, think about that okay? uh, what's the upside of those things as a virtue, okay, and of course maybe the over-attachment to their opposites. Um, When we think about causes and effects, karma, uh, it is. It is what it is. There's no opinions or value judgments or preferences in that whole process unless we put it in. But when we think about natural laws, we think about nature, we're always trying to discover the laws of nature, okay, um, to predict it, to control it. Uh, and a lot of times that's not possible. Okay. Not because things are in chaos and not because there's no cause and effects, but it just might be worth the situation and context is such that it's practically impossible to have that kind of certainty or control or prediction that one would like from the human perspective, okay? I mean, if there are two oranges in front of you and you say, well, I want to eat the ripest one, and you squeeze them both, they feel, they smell the same, they feel the same, you say, well, hey, huh? can't uh, it be shown that one is a little bit riper than the other, and now I'm going to eat that one. Well, you see, it might be very hard, if not impossible, to make that kind of determination without cutting it open and doing some chemical tests and everything. But then, you know, practically, who would want to do that? But you don't feel that there's something supernatural or superstitious about fruit ripening. It does have its laws. But that doesn't mean that we can control those laws and make predictions and so forth. Uh, And then I remember a fellow Buddhist once said, uh, in terms of business, success, executives, gee, would a Buddhist, is a Buddhist handicapped? If he's the executive CEO or something because of he doesn't have an agenda and he can see all kinds of factors, all kinds of alternatives, all kinds of different contexts, Okay. And uh, he doesn't put his own will in terms of leadership and making decisions. Okay. You make a decision, black and white, right and wrong, win and lose. That's a lot of people's philosophy in life. Okay. What, is, what is the role of uncertainty, ambiguity? Okay. And you still have to live life. <laughs> well, that's all for today's broadcast Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day.